0: You're listening to the ESPN
1: Footy Tips AFL Podcast.
2: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. My name is Matt Walsh. Joined, as always, Champion Darlers Christian Jolly. How are you going this fine morning, Christian?
1: Yeah, good, thanks. Thanks. Looking forward to sort of a two day break before, uh, what is it, Footy Fest number two starts again?
2: Footy Fest 2.0 on again, yes. Jake Michaels, are you ready for another few weeks of uh, non stop forward to wall footy?
0: <laughs> a bit disappointed there's no game on tonight, actually. I'm, uh, <laughs> nothing to do. <laughs> no, it'll be good.
2: <laughs> Having watched Collingwood North Melbourne last night, I can guarantee you there's nothing I'd want to be doing more than not watching football. Neil Seawang for the next couple of nights until Thursday afternoon. How are you going?
3: It wasn't the best game. Uh, It's um, four points that Collingwood desperately needed, needed, but no, not for the uh, neutrals. I I, uh, struggled to sit through that last night.
2: Yes, well, uh, funnily enough, guys, September is just the one week away, but it's not the September we're used to. Instead of looking at the finals matchups ahead of a pre-finals bye, we're instead looking at the run home because there's still hope for teams as low as 13th on the ladder. I've done a bit of number crunching. Um, so we're going to have to have a look at that. As always, there's plenty to discuss. But before we do get into the nitty gritty, something that caught your attention from the weekend that might otherwise have been missed. Who would like to offer up their thoughts first? Jake, I'm going to pinpoint you.
0: Well, I was going to I was going to stick the boots into Taylor Walker because he had an absolutely shocking 200th game. Um, <laughs> three touches. He's been shocking for him the last few weeks. Actually, I think he's I think he's kicked one goal from his last four games and just. Yeah, not playing well. So, I said I was going to stick the boost in. I think I just did. You just did. But, but no, I, I I think I have a new favourite player. Um, and it's the my love for this player has been developing over the last few weeks. And he, he's obviously a, a known player. But I think he's taken his game to extraordinary levels this year. And it's Taylor Adams. Uh, watching him last night... Some of the, I don't know if you guys saw, but some of these handballs like out of congestion. Like 20-metre handballs just to hit someone out, hit someone up in space. He, and, and, you know, people talk about toughness too much in football. And I think I, I get annoyed when people say, oh, he's tough, he's hard as nails. It's like, well, kind of all should be if you're playing football. But... I mean, he throws himself at everything. I, I think he is—he's in all Australian contention, for, absolutely, um, and probably leading Collingwood's best and fairest this year. I, don't, I think.
2: Do you think he's benefited from having players like Adam Shaw,
0: Scott Pendlebury, side bottom out of the team for well, weeks at a time? Because he's... I don't know if he's benefited from it, but it certainly made uh, it's sort of forced him to to step up uh, even further. Because I think if you'd asked, you know, most people at the start of the year, you know. Name name Collingwood's three best midfielders. I don't think anyone would have put Taylor Adams in there, but uh, he's he's so versatile now, and what he can do. He's winning the ball on the outside, and obviously we know what he does on the inside. He's a tackling machine. Uh, he's using the ball better than he perhaps has in the past, and uh, you know he complements the class of Pendlebury and side bottom. Uh, really well. So look, you know, Collingwood obviously struggling at the moment, and, and we know sidebottom will come back. Uh, we know Trelaw will come back, and with Adams playing in the form he's in, and, and Pendlebury going to get a few more weeks, uh, uh, they're going to they're still going to have a really dominant midfield. It's just a it's just, a, and that's without the goey. I mean, the goey might come back and pinch it in the midfield a little bit as well. So I wouldn't write them off just yet. But yeah, I think it's the forward line struggles where where you know that might let Collingwood down a bit.
2: Well, we are going to talk about the Pies and a few other teams who are still in the hunt for uh, those last couple of spots in the eight a little bit later on. Christian, something from the weekend of footy that caught your
1: eye? Um, Mine's a little bit uh, obscure, but uh, GWS's new recruit, Jake Riccardi, from the weekend. um, Again, mature-age recruit from the VFL, but probably won my favourite medal uh, to look at in football, which is the Folligil Round Medal. Okay. Best of the 22 player in the VFL, which uh, I think in the last 14 winners have all been drafted to the AFL and have all had uh, pretty instant impacts in the AFL. Um, it just sort of got me a little bit down that, yeah, we haven't got a VFL season this year. There will be no Father Gil- which is always, again, one of the, the awards that I actually sit there and wait for that probably no one else in the world does to uh, hear who wins that. Uh, always look them up. I think... Um, Previous winners, Yeah, it goes all the way back to I think Shane Valenti was one of the first for Melbourne and when Melbourne was struggling, I think he came in and almost was top three in their BNF in his first year and it's carried on from there. But yeah, just another sort of success story from um, uh, Mature Asia from the VFL and Jacob Cardia had kicked two goals, had six shots, I think, in the end Um, and just another forward that GWS are adding to that forward line if they could only uh, get the ball down there a little bit more.
2: Yes, major restructuring as well announced by the AFL uh, for all of its sort of second tier competitions, which we probably won't get into on this podcast, but uh, stuff to know for next year for sure. Neil Seawang, uh, something less obscure than that, perhaps from you?
3: <laughs> I did like that. He did look good <laughs> Um And uh, I've got a real soft spot for the mature age recruits. I've also got a soft spot for um, eccentric uh, coaches, a huge Malcolm Blight fan back in the day. <laughs> and, Luke Beveridge on the weekend. I just Malcolm the way Blight
0: getting there. another mention on the
3: podcast. It's two <laughs> <Yeah>. weeks running. <laughs> after you said that his, his we'll big on. kick after someone was a 45-meter was chip pass. Um,
0: yeah, I, I avoided social media all week because I was
2: uh, just <laughs> you, you actually, You know what? You actually got a little bit of support. Did I? A little bit of support because a lot of people tend to agree that we romanticize moments from the past a little bit more than we should compared to contemporary <laughs> moments. So there you go. You got a little bit of support on that one.
3: Good deal, sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry to, uh, to get off the Malcolm Blight discussion, but I love I loved Luke Beveridge. He looks like a gambler, and it's sometimes to his um, downfall that the gambles don't work. But a uh, halftime at the Melbourne game, the Doggies were down by a goal. It was a pretty close game. And he threw um, Josh Bruce, who hadn't really got a touch. He threw him into the ruck. He put um, Tim English down forward, which seems like a crazy idea They had... Um, they had Dunkley supporting in the ruck. Like he, he, He's throwing some crazy moves out there and it, and it really worked for the Doggies. And it wasn't like that they were you know, five goals down at halftime and had to make some moves to try and hope for the best. He did it while the game was pretty much on an even keel. And I just love the, the way that he just throws the magnets around. Um, doesn't always work, but you know, it, it's interesting to watch. It really is. Well, it shows yeah.
0: he's being proactive. And I think there's a yeah. lot of coaches that could learn a bit from that because... Without naming any names, there are a few coaches that sort of just try and let things run and play out, and, and they don't. They're they're either afraid or they they want to just persist with a certain style of play when they're getting beaten. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. I I, I really admire the way he the way he coaches, and he does. He he's always been like that, even going back to their premiership year. He wasn't afraid to to mix them around
1: in their premiership year. I mean, they just had. A- plethora of mid forwards so it was a newish position probably 2011 well we brought it in of guys that you know went into center bounces for you know maybe 40 50 percent of center bounces spent the rest of the time up forward um but yeah the doggies in 2016 i think they had probably two genuine midfielders that didn't spend at least 30 40 percent of their time forward so they just rotated them all the way through they've settled down a bit um recently uh, but yeah he's exactly that was one of their keys to their premiership was just that rotating through the midfield
2: Seems like he's got plans B, C, and D in that lovely luscious hair of his. Uh, Something that caught my eye. I don't know if you were watching too closely the off-field stuff from uh, Friday and Saturday night up in Darwin, but Channel 7 had Gavin Wanganine on the coverage. And I don't know about you guys, but the bloke looks like he's still about 27 years old. I was staggered, and I did a bit of reading, and I should have known this, but Jake, you would know this, but he won the Brownlow medal in 1993, I believe. But he did. Um, and I was born in
0: 1993. He looks my age. <laughs> well, you, do, you are a
3: grizzled old man, though, aren't you, Matt?
0: Oh, I'm getting there. When I switched it on, I didn't realise, uh, obviously he's not a regular, but he's part of the commentary team. I, and and he, was, he was on the screen. I didn't know who it was. Like, I couldn't work out who, who he was for a minute. I agree. I, I think he looks very good for his age. How old would he be? In his 40s.
2: At least, like, 45. It'd have to be at least 45.
0: Yeah, he's doing, he's doing something right. So, yeah, <laughs> the,
2: the water wherever he's living or, or, or he's got some sort of secret, but he looks better than me and I was six months old when he won the Brownlow. So, <laughs> who knows?
0: <laughs> he was very young when he won the Brownlow,
2: though. He was, yes, that's true. Uh, had a long career as well. Uh, great player. Um, all right, let's get into the, <laughs> the serious stuff before we discuss the, the looks of past players uh, and other commentators. But uh, the Premiership Standard... Is, is sort of something that gets bandied about a bit in in terms of you've got to be good at a few different metrics to become a genuine premiership threat. Um, Christian, I know that you've crunched the numbers that, that Champion Data has, and, and you guys would know better than anyone, any of us what those metrics are and what you need to be good at to be a genuine flag contender. I'll just throw it open to you. What are they and who has them at this point of the all-important run home?
1: Yeah, so, I mean... You- Basically, the word you used to introduce the premiership standards is um, something that it's always been called. And it's obviously uh, evolved over time with champion data. I think maybe the original one in 2003, 2004, I think premiership standards was, you know, kicking efficiency, contested possession, differential, might have been clearances and in inside 50s and things like that. And just sort of where the premiers or teams up at the top of the ladder usually rank across the season in those metrics um you know and what sort of measures to success so it's evolved over time and probably one of the biggest ones we had was i think we discovered it in about 2013 2014 it was our hot plot so it was called the 187 (laughs) hot plot um so sort of taking a snapshot 2016
3: (laughs) sorry what a name the 187 (laughs) hot (laughs) slot
1: it sort of worked out all right so um what it was is by 2016, 16 of the last 17 premiers had averaged at least 100 points uh, for and conceded at least eight, uh, fewer than 87 points against, uh, which was actually 15 of the last 17 at that stage. So I think when we discovered in about 2012 or 13, it was, you know, 13 of the last 14 and 12 of the last 13 and things like that. And the two numbers are simple, score over 100 points per game and can see fewer than 87 points per game. So hence the 187 name for the hot plot. Interesting Uh,
0: given that there's been a trend uh, downward in scoring.
1: Correct. So that's why I used 2016 as a good reference point for it. Um, Sort of, you know, randomly just uh, Googled it before I jumped on here just to see because we were putting it out quite a lot. There's a tweet from 2016 round 16, I think, where we tweeted it and Adelaide had just got into the sort of the quadrant that you want it to be. in. so again, as the hot plot, it was sort of, if you averaged a hundred points, you're in the top sort of left uh, and conceded less than 87 points. You're in the top left for, you know, conceding a lot of points. So you're up high on the graph, but uh, across on the left for um, points conceded. And we sort of had just a, a square. So sort of saying whether your attack was standard and your defense was standard as well, or whether you were conceding too many points and that you were scoring enough points, whether you were, you know, not scoring enough points, but your defense was stable and, whether you're just way out of whack and both were off. So um, I found a tweet yeah, around 16, 2016 um, and sort of bulldogs weren't in there. we all know now that they ended up winning the premiership that year, averaging 86 points per game. So again, as soon as sort of it got hot and sort of worked for two or three years, um, you're right, Jake. So sort of the bulldogs threw it out the window, but in that year um, there was only two teams that finished the season, averaging over hundred points in 2016, which was Adelaide and GWS. So, you're right. So since then, we've only seen, uh, I think it's two teams average a ho- over 100 points across the season. One of those was 2017 Adelaide. So mm. we all know went into you know finals and grand final red hot favorites, um, but didn't bring home the silverware. Uh, and I think another one of those teams was, yeah, GWS in 2016, as I was saying. So since that year, no premiers averaged over more than 92 points per game. So again, sort of the hot pot got thrown out the window after about two or three years of having a... A nice baseline number for the two measures, um, sort of thrown it out. So you're right, we have gone back to premiership standards and sort of looked at, again, metrics that sort of stack up over a certain amount of time and where teams rank. So at the moment, the one we're using is last 10 years. Um, So looking at, you know, the last 10 premiers coming into this year and where they've sat in certain stats. So there's four key stats where 100% or all 10 of the premiers have ranked in the top six at least in, which is sort of the the, uh, cutoff we've used. Um, And again, two of those are defensive stats. So points against and scores per inside 50 against. Um, So as long as you rank in the top six of those two stats, as well as the top six of time in forward half and inside 50 differential, again, two very similar stats, but playing the ball in your forward half. So again, using those four basic stats, the last 10 premiers have all ranked in the top six. Um, And from there, we've got, you know, a whole heap of other stats there. We had nine of the last 10 premiers are ranked in the top 6-4, 6-4, which is including, you know, points from uh, turnover differential, uh, which again, Bulldogs in 2016, I think they ranked seventh. So they just fall outside of that. So that's why it's nine of the last 10 premiers. Um, and then, you know, you look at other stats that are eight out of the 10 premiers, six out of the 10, five out of 10. You can sort of get a measure of, you know, what, what are successful teams, being successful in across the season to get to where they get to by the end of the year. So,
2: so it just goes to show that like you said that the four most popular ones points against, obviously one of the big key ones still, but obviously not points for is this, you reckon like this, this sort of shift towards a defensive mindset from coaching as long as the other team doesn't score, we can kick a slightly bigger score than them and and, and, and continue to play good footy.
1: Yeah, correct. So again, even if with points for and points against, you can go back to, you know, hundreds of years using those. Some of the other stats we're using might only be 10, 15, 20 years old. So points four was always a big one. You're always in the top three for points four to win premierships. It probably changed. I think the first year it really changed was
3: 2005.
1: Uh, The Swans were 14th, I think, for points four uh, and won the premiership. Uh, The next year, West Coast was fifth in 2006. So, again, they weren't quite top two and three, which we'd seen for, you know, almost... 100 years before, you know, I haven't checked all the numbers, but they would have clearly been in the top three a lot of the time. So a uh, little switch then um, in terms of scoring wasn't too important. Um, I think the Bulldogs were outside. They, they were 12th in 2016 for points four. But again, when you go to points against, top four, nearly all the premiers are top four for points against. So when you just stack up those two measures, um, again, it's the old adage, defence wins games over offence. Um, and it's sort of, you know, stacked up that way for the sort of since... 2001 onwards, if you sort of want to look at, you know, modern day footy as such. Um, yeah, all the way from, um, I think Essendon in 2000 were, you know, the best scoring team and the best defensively. Uh, 2001, to 3 Brisbane had their three people, the top two or three defensively, Port Adelaide, mm. so forth, so forth. So, um, yeah, defense has always been a, a little bit more of a factor than winning. So again, uh, turning Win. our attention to this year and looking at, as I said, the four key stats that you sort of the last ten premiers have all ranked in the top six in. So we sort of start at points again. So points conceded per game. Uh, Geelong's number one in that this year. Collingwood second. Fremantle third. Port Adelaide fourth. Richmond and West Coast round out of the top six. So again, the one that sort of stands out there, Freo.
0: Um, great effort from Freo. Um, <laughs> We were talking about uh, Luke Ryan a couple of weeks ago, I think, uh, and so many, so many injuries in their defence. Man, he is standing up big time. Yeah, That's so defensive. again, you to
1: give it a lot of credit to you know first year coach Justin Longmire. So again, looking across at the next stat for you know scores conceded per inside fifty. Um, so again, taking out of those top six, Port Adelaide and Richmond no longer ranking the top six out of that those two stats. So again, mm. they uh, I think dropped to. Yeah, Port Adelaide dropped to eighth and Richmond drop outside the top 10 for that. So, again, you put a little bit of a, a, you know, cross next to that sort of aspect. If the team can get an inside 50 against those two teams, they uh, tend to score a bit easier than the other top teams. So, again, but you look at Frio, second in that stat. So, they only can see the score 37% of inside 50. So, two key areas in defence. They're ranking third and second in, in uh, Longmills' first year. But then you go to the flip side, um, just quickly for them. As I said before, inside 50 differential, time and forward half differential. So playing the game in your half, keeping the ball locked, you know, in your forward line until you can score. Uh, Freo are actually 16th for inside 50 differential. So that's where the big black mark is. And they're not even in the top eight at the moment. Um, so I know sort of going back to our pre-pod discussion, Matt, you sort of said, you know, is there, is, is, is there a team like the Bulldogs that can sort of jump out and do it out of nowhere? And I sort of said, well, Frio a little bit in terms of that. I don't think they'll jump out and win it this year because they're not even in finals. But again, they're the ones that you sort of go, well, first year coach, sort yep. of a new team rebuilding. They've got half the game checked off. The defensive side of their game looks like they're they're set and ready, um, playing quite well. It's just got to fix the other, the ball movement and locking the ball in their forward
3: half. So they've been like that for so long, like haven't they? Like under Ross Lyon, they were a great defensive team, struggled to score, struggled to move the ball. So it looks like Long viewer uh, has done a fantastic job, sort of I guess, reinforcing those you know, defensive cornerstones. But again, if they need to tick off the two other boxes, that might be harder said than done for a team that's been, you know, really defensively focused for so long.
2: But the thing they're really doing well for me is at the moment is getting uh, good midfield time and centre bounce time into into the kids instead of just relying yeah. on Fife. Like fife has been resting forward. I think he's hit the most goals from midfielder this year, and he's missed a few games. Um, so they're obviously trying to trying to procure this next generation of talent. Uh, and it seems to be working pretty well. For, I know they're 13th on the ladder, but um, I think some of us might have had them as wooden spooners at the start of the year. So, I mean, when they had those injuries, I, I thought they were definitely a bottom two team. So they're, they're doing really well.
1: So, yeah, going back to um, the rest of the teams and the premiership standards. So, as I said, with the um, points against and then dropping to scores per inside 50, we saw Richmond and Port Adelaide both drop out of the six. Uh, so when we flip it to inside 50 differential... Uh, Again, the top six teams for that this year have been Port Adelaide and Richmond, Collingwood, Brisbane, Melbourne, and Geelong. So again, the only two teams so far of the three stats that we've been through points against, scores per inside 50 and inside 50 differential, uh, that are both in the top six are Geelong and Collingwood. So again, we're sort of down to two when uh, looking at those measures. Uh, and then we add in time in forward half, which usually closely met, closely sort of resembles the inside 50 differential. But surprisingly, Geelong are actually not in the top six for that uh, currently at this stage of the season. So again, which leaves Collingwood as the only team in the top six for all four of the, as we sort of said at the moment, the, the key uh, Key measures for premiership success across the last ten years. So, um... Collingwood's going to win the flag, isn't it? Well, <laughs> what a big test to be, as, uh, as I said that their, their numbers are stacking up to sort of be as um, they weren't in, if, even in the top eight until last night. But again, as long as they get those players back, their injuries, they're going to give the, you know they could have some big upsets in the finals if they come in as you know the seventh or eighth ranked team into finals.
0: Well, it's very much like Richmond last. Year. I know there's so many different. Scenarios this year, but Richmond had a lot of injuries last year, and people were writing them off at the midpoint of the year, and they came storming back. Obviously, playing all those games at the MCG helped, and Conwood won't have that luxury this year. But uh, I still think you know you're going to get you're going to get probably five of your best ten players back. Um, makes a massive difference.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, a- with Geelong and the time and forward half differential, they're seventh, and they're about uh, you know. 11 minutes away from being in the top six. So, if they, if, you know, behind Melbourne, so if Melbourne lost it by five minutes this weekend and Geelong won it by six minutes in their game, they would, you know, hopefully get into the top six of the uh, time in forward half differential and we'd be uh, discussing two teams being checking all four boxes. So, question
3: hey, without notice. Question, on that. Oh, sorry, go on. I was just about to say exactly the same, <laughs> same thing. Question without notice. Um, it's a bit of a cheeky one. So, do the people in, do your colleagues in the Champion Data Offices, do you start cheering? for a team like Collingwood so that your premiership model stacks up each year Um, um, as opposed to having to start (laughs) afresh if it doesn't work? (laughs) Uh,
1: Again, personally, no, not me. I mean, I I love looking at the numbers as a a, a historical storytelling type way. This is what happens. Uh, But yes, we do. We sort of, um, we've all got different personalities within the the office and you've sort of got some guys (laughs) that put a bit too much uh, validation or confidence in the numbers. So they start barracking just for the numbers, just, um, (laughs) You know, I, I know the big one was 2018 Melbourne. Um, so, yeah, 2019 Melbourne. So, we were just expecting him to come back. And it was just like, well, the numbers are still stacking up. And by first four or five rounds, it was like, well, we don't want Melbourne to be bad because everything we started to talk about pumping up, if you want to be good in this, this and this, Melbourne, we're checking the boxes. <laughs> um, but again, it, it is quite funny. Sometimes you can, uh, um, you see some people, yet yeah, that barracking for the stats rather than the teams. But again, I I... I think I've mentioned on this podcast, if I could predict what was going to happen in footy by the numbers, I wouldn't watch it anymore. The whole the whole point of watching footy is it's so unexpected. You can analyse it all week long. Um, and then the team that you know expect to win by ten goals can come out and lose by five at any stage. So it's so why I love the game and uh yeah, the numbers can be used in all different ways. So
2: So it's also it's also a rolling uh metric. Like you say that it's it's ten years so that, that 10 years obviously shifts every year. So something that was in vogue in 2010 next year is, is not going to be on that, that metric list. So if it, yep, so again, it something else, like if, if, if scores from back half become the thing that premiership teams do well, you'll see a shift away from say time in forward half and inside 50 differential to scores from back half being really strong, like a slingshot sort of model. Like, is that what you can kind of.
1: Yeah, again, and it, I mean, it is, it's, it's, it's just trying to keep it simple. I mean, we can, we can bring, bring this report out for 15, 20 years. Um, so again, one of the numbers I sort of didn't didn't mention is score differential from turnover. Um, so I think 13 of the last 14 premiers have actually ranked in the top five or six for that. So again, that was one of the nine out of 10 stats because Bulldogs actually in their season, I think, again, they were ranked 12th or 13th for points uh, scored from turnover differential. Right. Take them out of the picture. And I think, yeah, the other 13 premiers across the last 14 years are ranked in the top three or four. So that's always been a big one as well. You know, that and we have discussed it on the pod before there's three ways to score from kick ins from turnovers in general play or from clearances. Um, You win about 20 clearances. You have about eight kick ins, 10 kick ins per game, but you win usually 60, 70 turnovers or, you know, changes in possession per game. So if you can score from those. Um, But again, again, like I don't have the numbers, but probably extending it to 15, 20 years, you'd see very similar numbers. Um, Time in forward half we didn't have a great measure for before 2005, 2004 just because we weren't measuring as many things to sort of record where the ball exactly was Um, but the other three points against scores per inside 15, inside 50 differential again I'm sure we could expand it to 15, 20 years and it'd come out very very similar all but one or two premiers so um, it does, it it evolves and it, it changes but again we try to sort of keep it to not change it every single year, we try to sort of keep it as like it's a clear part of the game. You want to be able to stop scoring and you want to be able to play the ball in your forward half um, and so you can, you know, maximise your opportunities to score.
2: Interesting. So the Pies and then the Cats and then Port Adelaide, Richmond, the Eagles and then the rest. Throw a blanket over them. And then Frio next year. G- Frio. Keep an
1: eye
2: on, yes. <laughs> Frio One to keep an eye on. There you go. That's, that's fascinating. Um, we'll stick with you though, Christian, because we do have a couple more Ask Champion data questions that came in throughout the week if you don't mind answering a couple more of those. Um, feel free to have a take the the deep breaths though, while while we ask these. Um, The first one comes from Matt Allen on Twitter, uh, who asks, is there any chance you could analyse the teams most affected by shortened quarters, teams that scored or defended scores in this season's omitted minutes compared to the last few years? So basically like red time scores and how, how this has changed, I guess from 2019 to 2020. Is there anything that stands
1: out? Yeah. So, I mean, I looked into it and again, looking at the sort of two ways I ended up looking at it that you could turn it into. So shortened quarters. So how are you scoring by the end of quarters? Um, So again, the time on period starting at the 16 minute mark rather than the 20 minute mark these days. Um, And just your score points differential from that that time in the quarter onwards. So if you go back the last three or four years, uh, so 2017, Adelaide, Sydney and Port were the top three for scoring at the end of the quarters. They finished first, sixth and fifth. Uh, the next year was Hawthorne, Richmond, Melbourne. So three totally different teams who finished fourth, first and fifth. The year after was Geelong, Collingwood, Richmond. So slightly different teams again, first, fourth and third um, across them where they finished on the ladder. So again, when you look at the last three years, it hasn't stacked up to be all right. Richmond have always been there. Geelong have always been there. Sydney's have all, It's It just seems to be the teams that have done well by the end of the season, usually outscore. their opposition late in quarters. So again, looking at that stat this year, Uh, Richmond, Port, West Coast, St Kilda are sort of the top four in that start again um, all finalists all sort of you know in the top six of the ladder at the moment Um, so again no you know it's not you can't look at it and go well yeah clearly it's affected North or clearly it's affected Collingwood or Geelong so it's just been a changing team so again the second way I looked at it is just looking at the final after the 15 minute mark of the fourth quarter so again yes you can talk about shortened quarters but does it really matter in the in the 21st minute mark of the second quarter? Players shouldn't be feeling any difference. Yes, it's, you know, they've, they've only played 40 minutes instead of being the 15 minute mark of the second quarter. It's now the 22 minute mark, but you wouldn't expect much difference in terms of fatigue at that stage. So again, but just looking at shortened games, what happens after, you know, in the last 15, 10 minutes of games. And again, the numbers that threw up previous years, good teams have just, again, outscored their opposition-leading game. So Adelaide were good in 2017, dropped away in that stat um, in 2018. Uh, Melbourne were nowhere near it in 2017, jumped up in 2018 in that stat. Uh, Geelong's probably been one that's been a constant, but again, we know they've sort of, they've been, you know, top four or five nearly every year. So um, looking at previous years, again, it's stacked up with the winners. This year was sort of interesting. It's, and I don't, don't know what to make out of it. So at the moment, after the 15-minute mark of the fourth quarter, the best teams for points differential are Melbourne, St. Kilda North, and Geelong a fourth. So, hmm. you know, Saints it's are a up random Melbourne mix. North, uh, you know, probably, you know, Melbourne is still a chance to make finals, North unlikely. So, don't know what to make of that. I, I, I think, but it probably does show that the end of games aren't, you know, it's not teams aren't sort of the dominant teams aren't just finish off, finishing off games stronger, maybe, just because the games are shorter. But we, again, something we spoke about earlier in the year, a lot of games are being put to bed by halftime because yeah. they do know they've got less time to defend in the second quarter. So teams that are getting off to faster starts are winning more games, probably um, you know, slightly more than ever before. But yeah, looking at in terms of teams that have been affected by the change in games, I don't think there's been any team this year that sort of come out and say, well, yeah, we've always done well late in games in the last three or four years and the shortened games really hurt us this year. So.
3: Nothing
2: interesting I think you're right like it's, it's, not a, it's not a fatigue thing. it's more of a keep your focus late in games because you said the teams that are scoring late in quarters regardless of what quarter it is, are teams that are in the finals hunt at the moment. So if you can keep your focus longer, um, you might be able to kick more goals even if you are or aren't tired. so maybe that, that''s there's not maybe there's something in that or, or maybe there's not. but uh, a good question in any case. Uh, the next question uh, from R underscore D underscore B on Twitter. What is the most common winning margin in VFL, AFL history?
1: Yep. So, um,
3: I think we'll take yes. a guess.
1: We, yeah. Yeah, actually, that's good. We, yeah. <laughs> we have yeah. a guess?
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. I'll say 13 points.
3: I'll say 17.
0: No, nah, it has to be lower than that. I reckon it's one point. Yeah. So, Jake's correct. Oh. So, uh, is it one, one point?
1: Bit, yeah. I was a little bit sad when I saw that. So, all <laughs> the game, there's been 342 uh, one-point games.
0: Uh, Joking. Uh, so I was actually, I was actually
1: going to say rating. a draw. I was actually going to say a draw. How far behind would the draw be? Uh, so the draw is 320 times, which is sixth. So again, okay. the, the top two are one point is the most. Two points is the second most. Uh, and then five points, nine points, three points. So nine points is sort of the one that jumps yeah. out. Of there,
3: out of mm, okay, I oh, well off. Fascinating. Yeah,
1: 1897 onwards. So again, just looked at this year. Um, Six games this year have been by, um, we'll call it Jack Nunes points. So
3: 32
1: points to me, um, but yeah, so uh, 32 for some reason has been the most common margin this year. And then just going from 2000. So again, just looking at more modern day footy uh, that probably should, you know, throws up more random numbers. So uh, three points has actually been the most common margin in the last 20 years. So there's been 93 games of three point margins, 90 games of four point margins Eighty-one of nine-point margins, and then seventy-nine of one-point margin. So again, one one point actually comes fourth if you look across the. line. if you're doing
3: point. your tipping but, you know, and you have to do a margin, it's probably best just to go for a, a lower a lower uh, margin rather than a than a larger one.
1: Yeah, less than a.
0: playing, I guess. <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's that's really interesting. I wonder why why it, it is, is like
2: because yeah. teams aren't always that well matched. Is it like I wonder if it's a mental thing like. Uh, you know you get close oh, it's it's kind of hard to explain really yeah it is
1: yeah again i think i mean great question obviously lower in the first 30 40 50 yeah um so that's why i sort of you know use 2000 as a cutoff point but again it, it is it's all the it's all the single figure margins happen more mm-hmm. often than double figures but i'm sure if you ask the round, yeah exactly the round person go, nah, i feel like it's always more than two goals. you know most games yeah are 40. Yeah. It's, yeah they're all They're all quite low. There you go. That that is a good question.
2: Uh, Some good answers there too as well. (laughs) All right, uh, let's move on. Now, guys, I didn't go to to university to do a journalism degree because of my math skills. But as far as I know, seven doesn't go into two, Uh, and it seems like we've got two final spots left, seventh and eighth. Um, You could possibly extend it to sixth, but uh, we'll just for the the points of this exercise, we'll go two two places, seventh and eighth. Um, and there seem to be seven or up to seven teams vying for those positions because we've got the Pies and the Dogs in the seventh and eighth. And then the Ds, the Blues, the Giants, the, uh, the Bombers and the Dockers uh, all seem to still be in finals contention. I mean, we, we might argue the, the, the Dockers and the, and the Dons a bit later, but it seems like there are still a few teams in contention. So I want to go through the list um, and discuss with you guys what we think the pros and cons or make a case for and against uh, the contenders at this time of the year. Uh, We might start with the Pies. Neil, we saw it last night. They they weren't overly convincing, but they got the job done. And we've just heard from Christian that they've got the metrics in place to be uh, a good team comes finals time. But they're seventh at the moment. They've played 13 games, uh, which along with the Dogs, is one more than all the other teams below them uh, from ninth to 13th. So they've got one less game in hand than the others. They play the Blues, the Lions, the Suns, and then the Power to finish out their year. What do we think of their chances? Uh,
3: Really, I mean, it's a virtual, it's not an elimination final against the Blues, but how big is it? I mean, Mm. the Blues beat the Pies and all of a sudden, you know, instead of being a a romantic fairy tale for Blues supporters, it's an actual tangible chance to to play finals for them. But if the Pies win, you almost lock them in and say, next year Blues, don't you? So Mm. massive game this week. I I think everyone assumes that The Pies have got the quality on the list. They've got the experience of playing a lot of finals recently that they will come good um, if they get a few of those really big name players coming back. But they have not looked like they've been able to get out of second gear for about six weeks. So whether or not they can challenge for a flag, I'm not sure because it's really hard. You know, Richmond's probably an outlier that had a stuttering season all year and then came really good um, in the finals. I'm not sure if they can contend, but I think they'll make finals. Um, after the Blues, they've got the Lions, which is you know probably 50-50. The Suns, they should win, and the Power, which is 50-50. So, yeah, this Blues game is is going to be huge.
2: It certainly is, uh, especially because, as I said, they've got one less game uh, compared to a lot of these other teams in, in this sort of uh, 7th to 13th positions. The Dogs, Jake, are 8th. Um, they've got the Cats and the Eagles in the next two weeks. And then the Hawks uh, and then the Dockers to round things out. I mean. That game against the Dockers is going to be a, an interesting one if both teams are still alive at the pointy end of the season. But I mean, have they left a little too little too late? Uh, the the dogs
0: probably not. I mean, you're you're the man that's pretty pretty been pretty hot on the dogs all year. What do you think?
2: I mean, they've got they've got the talent and they've got the the midfield and and the players resting forward and, and the Bevo factor. Um, but There's again, it, it, I know that's only one game that they've they've played more than these other teams, but. In a shortened season, it's quite um, – it's a lot. And and the fact that they've got the Cats and the Eagles in the next two weeks, if they lose both of those, it's almost hard to see them keeping the Ds, the yep. Blues and the Giants at bay who are only one game behind them with a game in hand. They're um, going to have
0: to win one of those games, Exactly
2: think. right. Yeah, they're going to have to win one of those games and I'm not sure if, if they've got it in them. I mean, look, for the sake of good footy, I hope they do knock off one or both of them because, you know, then the the – the chasing back pack gets a bit closer and the finals get a bit more interesting. But, geez, they're, they're clinging onto that eighth spot and it wouldn't surprise me if they fall out. Um, Neil, your Ds, 12 games played <sighs> for 24 points. The Saints, the Swans, the Dockers, the Giants and the Dons. It seems like a pretty favourable draw to, to round things out. And the percentage yeah, really, that they've got is good.
3: Yeah. Melbourne, you just don't know which Melbourne's going to turn up. I mean, if they play at their best, they could possibly win all of those five. And if they, you know, if they don't fail, if they fail to turn up like they did for a quarter against the Dogs, then they could lose three or four out of those five. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not confident. I'm generally a pretty pessimistic or realistic Melbourne fan. Um, yeah, this came against the Saints. A big test for Simon Goodwood's coaching, I think, because I think the Saints are quite similar to the Dogs in the way mm-hmm. that they run and spread and move the ball from the back half really well. Um, so I think if he can find a way to make some changes from last week into this week, and, and if Melbourne beat the Saints, I'll be I'll be really confident. Um, I'm
1: very similar to Neil. Coming into that Bulldogs game last week, I thought, and seeing that they had the Saints in the next week, I thought this is a big two weeks for Melbourne. They needed to win both games, um, and again against that type of opposition that that does that they do struggle against speed. Um, you know, very small sort of you know quick forward lines when they can get the ball moving. Both uh, Bulldogs and St Kilda. And again, Melbourne, yeah, failed sort of one of them. This, this again, we talk about um, elimination final, Collingwood, Carlton. This is a bigger one for, you know, Melbourne. I think if they they got a pretty favourable draw after this game against St Kilda. Mm. Uh, but again, if, if they drop this one, it's it's going to be hard for them to make it if, if the Bulldogs can just win one of their next two. Um, but yeah, it was always going to be a big two weeks for the Demons against uh, Bulldogs and St Kilda after having a pretty yeah, pretty good form line across four or five weeks coming into these last couple.
2: Mm, interesting uh, they're ninth the Blues are tenth uh, just percentage behind the D's so 12% behind the D's and about three and a bit percent above the Giants um, Christian you're a stats man the Blues they've won six lost six and have got a percentage of an even 100 that must sort of tickle your, <laughs> tickle <laughs> your fancy of them being completely average <laughs> um,
1: exactly it sums, up, it sums up Carlton probably perfectly and you look at <laughs> some of their games they're probably for 30-40 minutes dominated um, or you know if not dominated, just, you know, kept the ball in their forward line and grinded away and put on the scoreboard. But then there's been, you know, nearly every game where there's been 30 minutes of the complete opposite, where they've just been opened up. Just
0: watch the game against Hawthorne. That
1: was pretty much sums that up all Correct. And uh, I think, yeah, Melbourne earlier in the season, St Kilda. I mean, there's been a few where, um, yeah, by the end of the game, it all balances out, though, for Carlton. They usually, you know, they're they're within 10 points, um, most of their margins. So, again, I don't... I think the destiny is a little bit out of their hands. I know they've got an extra game than, you know, the Pies and the Dogs, as we said, who are the two that are currently sitting in the eight. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're a chance to win at least four of the next five. And Brisbane might be hard in the final round. Um, you know, we've sort of touched on the Giants a little bit, but, you know, two or three weeks ago, you would have had Giants easy favourites, but, you know, game, game in two weeks, they'd almost be 50-50. So. But again, it, it's, it sums out Cartons. Uh, season perfectly, the 6-6 and percentage of 100, they've just been so even and they can't quite, you know, they're not they're not bad enough to miss finals, but I don't think they're good enough to be in
0: finals either, if that makes sense. <laughs> we, we, we could look back, at it, and I think we might have said it at the time on the podcast, but we could look back to the Nunes kick, um, and that really was the, the catalyst for the making finals, because, you know, that extra four points is going to go a long way in a shortened season, particularly when you look at how compressed that middle portion of the ladder is, so that kick has basically given Carlton a shot at making finals. And as you say, it's not the hardest, hardest run home.
2: No, absolutely not. It's, um, you know, they win this week against the Pies, which I think they might even start favourites because I think still a bottom goes home. They might not be favourites, but they'll be close. Um, you know, they win that and, and suddenly destiny might be in their hands. Um, and that's something that I think you'd probably prefer as a footy club going into, into a run home is knowing that, that you can make an impact and, and make your club make finals instead of having to rely on other teams to lose. Um, the Giants, as I said, three percent behind, but their run home is also, uh, well, we would think favourable. The Dockers, the Blues, the Crows, the D's, and the Saints. There's there's not a there's not a game there where you think, oh, they're going to get a hundred percent lose. There, there, there's not a game there that you think, no, nah, there there's no chance in that. Um, but if the Giants that have turned up the last few weeks and and failed to score in the first half basically turn up, well, maybe they won't make it. Where do we think uh, that they are going to be Neil?
3: It's so hard, isn't it? I mean. Yeah. I'm not sure if I'm alone in assuming that they'll click at one point, but maybe that's just, um, I guess, the, the effect of looking at their list and, and looking at their grand final position from last year and just assuming that they'll, you know, they'll be right and it will click at one point. But you say that there's a lot of winnable games there, but there's a lot of losable games there too. Yeah, you depends know, which yeah, of the side of the coin you want to look at, isn't it? But the fascinating thing is there's a lot of games between these six or seven clubs in the next five weeks. Um, so yeah, a, a lot of the the finals chances are in these clubs' hands, and they just need to to win the games they need to win. Mm.
2: Well, we look at the Dons who are twelfth. Uh, the draw might come back to bite them against the Suns because they're they're six points in arrears of uh, of the Dogs in eighth at the moment. Uh, they do have the extra game in hand, but it still means they need to get two wins above more than the current eighth place mm-hmm. team, and they face. Uh, the Hawks, which is a winnable game. Then the Eagles and the Cats and the Power in consecutive weeks before rounding out their season against the D's. I mean, is it too far gone with the, for the Dons with a percentage of 85.9? Yeah. The Don,
0: the, the Bombers are not making finals. Simple as that. Those are games
3: in a row. Eagles, Cats, Power. They, I can't see them winning any of them. Yep. Fair enough. But then uh, below them,
2: one spot below them is the Dockers uh, on 20 points. So still only two wins behind the Dogs. Uh but they don't have that that draw in between. Um, but they play the Giants, the Tigers, the D's, the Roos, and the Dogs. And again, some winnable games there, some losable games there. But are they without a shot at 13th on the ladder, Jake?
0: Uh Look, I, I, I kind of tend to agree with what Christian was saying before. I mean, they're obviously checking a lot of the boxes. They're playing good football. And they're. I think we tend to get carried away with teams that are performing a lot better than expectation. I know I, I had the Dockers finishing bottom two this year. Uh, may have even had them finishing bottom. I can't remember. But yeah, so when they're up to 13th or wherever they are at the moment and they're sort of within you know a shot of playing finals, you, you tend to um, get carried away a little bit. So I, I don't think they're going to make it, but uh, you know, one one game will turn it. And again, we go back to the Nunes the kick. You know, had they had had he not kicked that, then yeah, maybe they do make it. So I, I think they'll miss out, but but certainly not by much.
1: I'll, yeah. I'll, well, sorry. Going to be um, they you know they're going to be big disruptors. I don't think they'll make it at all. But you look at who they have got. They got the Giants, who really need to win. Uh, as you said, can't score coming up is what we said. You know the team that's built themselves on defence this year. Uh, Richmond, uh, Melbourne, trying to, you know, claw into the eight and the dogs in the final round. It's sort of probably one team outside the eight you don't want to come up against might be Freo at the moment just because of what they're doing defensively and how they're set up. Um, So, yeah, I don't think they make it, but they have a lot to say in who does make it in terms of can they pinch one or two and just sort of, you know, um, could they finish Melbourne's season in three weeks' time or could the dogs be trying to beat them in the final round to get into finals and... Freo keep them to 20 points or something and just frustrate the hell out of them. Who knows? But I think, yeah, Dockers games will be interesting to watch from uh, here on out because they've got some um, competition that really needs to win um, against Freo to keep themselves alive.
2: For sure. Uh, A final word from all of you. Jake, the two teams that uh, make up seventh and eighth at the end of the year, who are they?
0: Well, I'm going to go a little bit further. I'm going to say St Kilda don't make it. So uh, I'm going to pick three teams that'll slot in there. I think Collingwood will stay in the eight. Uh, I think Melbourne will make it, and I'm going to stick with the Giants. I think the Giants will make it too.
2: Interesting. Yes, we didn't touch on St Kilda, but they are, they've they got a tough run home as well. Uh, so, we shouldn't discount them, but I mean, yeah, surely surely they make finals after years and years of, uh, of waiting to do so.
3: Uh, Neil? Uh, I'm going to be uh, really boring here, and I'm not going to throw you any curveballs. I think the team's seventh and eighth will stay seventh and eighth, or at least make finals. I think The pies will click or, you know, they'll get some sort of form back. Um, So they'll play finals. And the dogs, I think they can beat one of the cats Mm. or eagles and then that'll secure them that that final spot.
1: Interesting. Christian? Yeah, I think I'm with Neil as well. Pies and dogs um, and probably GWS the most likely to overtake dogs for me. But, yeah, I'm keeping seven and eight as is.
2: Yeah, I yeah the dogs. I mean, they they had a couple of chances against uh, good opposition in the last month or so, and didn't quite get it done. So I'm thinking the pies and the D's. I think the D's just scrape in. They've got a uh, they've got winnable games on that way home on that run home, and their percentage is is quite good at this stage of the year. So
0: yeah, um, the percentage is good, and they've really they've, they've got yeah. um they've got probably yeah I think pretty comfortably the best run home um, of yeah. all the teams in that spot. Uh, yeah, I, I think the
2: diesel make it. I'll will back your mob, uh, Neil. We'll get there. <laughs> They'll disappoint uh, you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got a we've got a tipping toolkit uh, coming out next week where we'll sort of take a look at each team's run home and and give you guys uh, at home the best guide about who to tip over these last four or five rounds. So keep an eye for that on espn.com.au. All right, Which uh, is
3: especially important before we jump ahead, Matt, because how you know talking about um, teams trying to make the eight and the the. The crunch end of the year in tipping competitions across the country too there's going to be people one or two tips or four or five tips off the pace and if we can help them in, in any small way we'll, we'll try our best
2: we might just get Jake to do the whole thing because as we all know he likes to <laughs> beat his chest about how well he tips uh Jake we we're going to throw that one to you is that all right <laughs> uh more work to do why
3: not <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's to Jake
2: That's it. Uh, Keep your eye out. ESPN.com.au slash AFL. Okay. Uh, My favorite, uh, my favorite subject, not back in school. What's going on? Um, Our our favorite segment, uh, justified or hyperbole, where I will say a few statements uh, to you guys, and you need to tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm talking in hyperbole. Uh, Jake, you like watching the Brisbane Lions. Their goal kicking will come back to hurt them in finals.
0: Hyperbole because Every game's different, and I don't see poor goal kicking as that much of a trend because I I, I believe that the team can turn it around very quickly. Um, if they kick five goals, eighteen in a final, yeah, obviously it's going to hurt them. But I don't see why um, it's going to get to they're going to get to a final and they just can't they can't convert. I don't see it it's as a
3: trend though. But- They've, they've had so many games this year where they've kicked a lot more points than goals. They
0: have, but they've also had games where they've been accurate. So, I, I they get, they've had more where they've been inaccurate, sure, but I don't see it as... I'm not worried about that uh, exactly. I I don't think it's going to be sort of disastrous because they could easily get... Would anyone be surprised if they got to a final and they kicked 13 goals, four in a final? I don't think anyone would really be, like, shocked, saying, oh, my God, they, they're so accurate today. It's like... No, because, you know, kind of, it, it, the way I look at it, it's not as if they're missing the most, the just absolute gimmies. They are missing. But a lot of the shots that they're missing, and I'm sure Christian will have numbers on this, but from what, from my eye sort of tells me that, they're missing sort of a lot of those 50-50 ones.
2: Well, shouldn't they be getting in better positions or trying to kick from from closer to goal? I mean, the Saints do that really well, where they've, they've, they've been kicking a lot of goals, like within... 15, 20 metres of, of, of the goal square. Yeah, so, they're, they're giving themselves more opportunities in better spots.
0: They are, but the, the Lions do give themselves a lot of opportunity and they do have the ball up in their, you know, they, they play the ball in the forward line a lot and they're very dangerous in the forward fifty. So, I I don't see it as a as uh, something that's going to hold them back um, any more so than any team. Because I think any team can have a day where they just are inaccurate in front of goal.
1: So they. Fair they are just sorry to jump in there, but they are taking the second hardest shots of goal of any team. So again, they're where they're they're taking their shots from, they're expected to score forty four percent. So That's the thing they're not they're not missing you know, twenty out directly in front. Like yeah, but the, again, well, like Eric have had the
3: yips on the weekend. Eric
1: Kippwood, maybe. The, <laughs> the type of entries and where they get it to, they do seem to have a lot of those shots on the boundary. Um, Again, Hipwood's, you know, very good running back with the flight. But again, a lot of his hit-up, lead-up marks are 40, 50 out, sort of whitish. Um, and again, Cameron probably likes to do his work a little bit, you know, on the outside of packs, close mm. to the boundary. So to me, I, I think a little bit of justified hype because you yep. do, you can only go for so long in terms of, you're right, Jake, they're not missing easy shots, but they're not getting them either. So, um, you know, the numbers suggest probably they need to just slightly tweak their inside 50 entries to try to get, the ball into those easier scoring positions. And
2: but the, I think, the I cauldron think... of finals as well. Add, add into that, the fact that they lost both finals last year, uh, yeah. the fact that they're going to be hosting finals this year, regardless, well, regardless of whether they're the home team or not. I don't know if, if, if they just come out and kick, you know, zero three in the first quarter of their first final, I'd be seriously worried about them. Let's move on. Come on. We've got, uh, we've got a few more to get through. Um, the AFL, Neil, you were you uh, used to work at AFL.com.au. The AFL needs to bring back carryover points for serial offenders. You would have been well-versed in the carryover points system. What do you think?
3: Yeah, it was interesting that they dropped... Remember back in the day, they had carryover points for bad offenders. And also, you got uh, if you had a clean record, you got um, a, a reduction in, in possible um, sanctions, didn't you? So. I don't know. I think, I mean, we're obviously asking this question in light of the Tom Lynch incident and, or incidents and the fact that he, I thought it was a ridiculous decision to take him to the tribunal for that, um, uh, that incident against Hurley in isolation. That was never going to be a suspension in that, but whether it was a, a, a message from um, the MRO to say, look, this is just an, enough is enough. You've had three or four bad um, incidents in the last couple of weeks just, yeah. we want to bring you up here and actually have a, a good hard look at you. Um, I'm not sure whether bringing back the carryover points for serial offenders is, is needed, but um, yeah, I think maybe just Tom Lynch needs to pull his head in.
2: <laughs> I like that. Uh, oh, I think they should. I think they bring it bring back the carryover points. I think the difference that you do is that people who have carryover points are still eligible for the brown low because you're not doing something mm. bad enough in one game where it's it's clear that you've um, you're not being the fairest player, uh, as well as the best player. But if you, you know, do a couple of silly things over the course of, you know, a month, uh, and then you get a suspension, but you, you still haven't done anything bad enough to warrant uh, missing out on something like that. Maybe, maybe that's something they could explore. In my opinion, Jake,
0: your thoughts? No, I don't like it. I mean. You know, if, if, you're, if you're doing 2Ks over the speed limit every day, you shouldn't be adding up to then getting a massive fine. I, I think you've got to do something that warrants the suspension at the time. If not, throw it out. But as Neil said, ridiculous that that went to the tribunal. And, and mm-hmm. even more ridiculous the amount that everyone was talking about it. Both, both you know, I'm, I'm just... The amount of talk about Tom Lynch, like he's <laughs> some sort of villain... It's just been crazy the last the last um, fans,
2: seven days. Fans wanted blood, but they wanted blood for the prior transgressions, I think. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, and I can understand why. Uh, but Jake, my, my retort to you would be: don't go two k's over the speed limit, mate. Stick to the speed oh, limit, don't. and you'll be fine. You do it on
3: cruise control. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <other limits. laughs> All right, uh, Christian, what did you think of the Dreamtime match? Should it be held in Darwin every year? Is that sorry? It should be held in Darwin every year. Is that hype justified or hyperbole?
1: Um, well, not sitting on the fence, but probably hyperbole for me. Essendon and Richmond, I still would have at the G. Um, but yeah, happy to definitely got to be playing in Darwin. You'd think every every round, uh, mm. in uh, Sir Doug Nichols' round, um, should have games, you know, if we can get them in Alice Springs and Darwin. But um, yeah, I think rotate the teams there. I don't think you always send Richmond, Essendon up. I think there is also the, um, you know, there's a lot of, positiveness having it up in Darwin, but surely there's a lot of positiveness having it down here in front of 80,000, 90,000 people as well. Uh, mm. But yeah, uh, definitely big on having a game in Darwin during this round
3: every year.
2: Neil, the D's have a deal with the Northern Territory. Why haven't they lobbied to have those games played uh, during Sir Doug Nicholls' round?
3: I, yeah, well, obviously I think this year, I think every, all, all the rule books have been, been thrown out the window a little bit with, in terms of who and where and when you'll play. Um, but I think Melbourne's just in recent years has reduced their deal with the NT to just one game in our spring. So not in Darwin. Okay. Um, but so that would be the reason why. Um, but I do like the idea of trying to set up a second blockbuster. So keep the Dreamtime match between Essendon and Richmond at the MCG every year, but try and find two teams that um, want to build a rivalry or have really strong links to the Northern Territory. Mm-hmm. and play that maybe on, you know, on maybe have a double header or do it on that Friday night, Saturday night, or something like that. I think try and make it really special and and have two hits of the cherry in that regard.
2: Good call. Uh, all right, we're going to whip through these last two really quickly. Jake, Richmond and West Coast, the grand final preview we've been waiting weeks to see. Uh,
0: well, we have been waiting weeks. It um, was <laughs> originally slated for round five or something. Um, no, I think, I think, Geelong is probably going to be in there. So it's not going to be the grand final preview, but it should be a really good game.
2: Does anyone have anything onto the contrary?
3: No? Good. Okay.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And last one before we wrap things up, Neil, buddy will not get to 1,000 goals.
3: (laughs) I remember we asked this question late last year, and I think we all said, of course he will. He's on 930. He's on, so right now he's on 944 goals. Um, he's on ice for the rest of the season he's got two more years to go on his contract if he plays that far he's going to be 34 in January so I'm I'm thinking that he falls short his, his body just he can't stay on the park which is such a shame because he's been one of my favourite players to watch that I've ever seen mm. and I'm sure that there'll be a lot more others in the same boat um, I'd love him to have a fairy tale come back and play two really good years but I think he might just fall short
2: it's a shame isn't it I mean we, we sort of discussed what, what Buddy's future holds and, yeah, to, get, to have to play, what you, you'd have to argue two more seasons to get those sort of 55 goals, unless he has a stellar year and doesn't get injured and doesn't miss any next year, mm. for instance. Uh, it's got to be two more years of footy and, and I agree. I think it's, it's, the hype's justified. He won't get there, unfortunately.
1: Uh, Jake? Yeah,
0: uh, I mean, I've got to agree with you guys. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he did it, but, you know, if I, if I was a betting man... I'd be I'd be Which you are. what do you mean I'd if be, I'd be taking <laughs> taking the unders on the 1000 goals uh, but but look what what is he 56 off he's got to get 56, I mean 56
3: yeah
0: don't think he's getting that in a season in this day and age no. um, so yeah but you know you could you could certainly get that over 2 years but again it's whether he can stay fit if he can, if you said he's going to stay fit for two seasons I mean he's going to get it pretty comfortably but I think the biggest question is whether he, whether he can stay fit, and as we've seen from the last few seasons, it's just not happening.
2: Christian, some final thoughts on Buddy.
0: Yeah, I'll no, probably with Jake.
1: I'd be slightly on the unders, but wouldn't surprise me to see him do it. But it's going to take again. If we're measuring it out, I, I agree. It's probably going to take him thirty, thirty-five more games to do it. Um, I don't even know if he'll reach that in the next two years. And again, I think we all hope we're wrong, though. I think we all want him to get there. So,
0: let's be honest, it's hard to see anyone ever. If anyone ever actually getting close to it, let alone actually doing it. I mean, the way yeah. the game's played now, he, he very well could be the last player to do it.
2: Absolutely. Well, let's hope he gets there and can play uh, some more games in 2021 now that he's been put on ice. Guys, uh, thanks. Make sure you get your tips in ahead of Thursday afternoon. Uh, get your tips in for the next few weeks because it is going to get pretty hectic again. Um, and as Neil said, the run home for the tipping is now well and truly on. So you don't want to miss out on any gimmies. Uh, the Footy Tips app, ready for you when you are. Uh, thanks guys. We will speak to you all in the next one.
1: Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.